all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Everybody does it, but are we doing it right? Getting too much? Getting too little? How about trying to make up? You guessed it, we are talking about sleep. Join me with Dr. Andrea Lewis, otolaryngologist at UMMC, try to say that 10 times fast, as we tackle today's topic and give you information about the stages of sleep, healthy sleep patterns, and the influence of sleep on our overall health. Are you having trouble catching some Z's? Well, head to the phones and share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. A St. Louis man is being charged with making at least eight bomb threats to Jewish groups across the U.S. Prosecutors say Juan Thompson was attempting to harass an ex-girlfriend. The 31-year-old was arrested this morning in St. Louis and was scheduled to make his first court appearance today. Authorities have not said if they believe Thompson was behind the more than 100 threats recently made to Jewish community centers since January. They allege that Thompson... Uh, they allege that Thompson was behind a series of threats that marked an escalation of harassing behavior that targeted his ex. Last weekend, police found dozens of defaced headstones at a Jewish cemetery in Philadelphia a week after a similar action took place in St. Louis. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is traveling with President Trump to Orlando, Florida, to promote school choice. This comes in the wake of growing criticism from teacher unions who warn Trump's policies are hostile to public schools. We have more on this from NPR's Tamara Keith. Trump's visit to St. Andrew Catholic School in Orlando will be an effort to amplify the message he delivered in his address to a joint session of Congress. He spoke about a Florida tax credit program that makes it possible for thousands of children to attend private schools instead of public schools. And many students at St. Andrew take advantage of that program. Coverage of Trump's speech to Congress was drowned out within 24 hours by calls for Attorney General Jeff Sessions to resign after it was revealed that he met with the Russian ambassador to the U.S. during the campaign, but during his confirmation hearing said that he hadn't had contact with the Russians. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. Senior members of the NAACP, the nation's oldest civil rights organization, have been meeting with Attorney General Sessions to warn him against policy changes that they say will threaten to erode civil rights enforcement. This week's session said that too much federal scrutiny on police departments could make enforcement less effective. His critics argue lack of accountability threatens to fuel distrust between police departments and communities of color across the nation. 
A commission appointed by the Irish government to investigate decades of suspected abuse at care homes for mothers and young children has found what it described as a shocking number of human remains at one such home. Willem Marks has more on this from London. The Catholic Church managed the Bon Secours Mother and Baby Home on Ireland's west coast for more than three decades, when bearing a child out of wedlock was a social taboo in the deeply conservative country. An independent inquiry was established to investigate long-standing rumours that around 800 babies and infants had died at the home, and that inquiry's forensic team announced Friday that beneath the care home they'd found child remains that ranged in age from 35-week-old fetuses to 3-year-old infants. That's Willem Marks reporting. You're listening to NPR News. In Malaysia, officials say they have deported a North Korean man who was released from custody after police found insufficient evidence to charge him in connection with the murder of Kim Jong-nam, the half-brother of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The man was detained four days after Kim was killed at a Malaysian airport. Police did not disclose what they thought his role in the killing might have been. They say the man would be deported because he had no valid travel document. Scientists have found that air pollution from Asia has wafted across the Pacific Ocean and increased smog levels in the western United States. NPR's Rob Schmitz is in Shanghai. He reports a study by a research team found smog levels in the western U.S. have increased each year despite a 50 percent reduction in U.S. emissions of smog-forming pollutants. The culprit, the study finds, is across the Pacific Ocean. Scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration led the study, which was published in the journal Atmospheric Chemistry and Physics. It found that levels of ozone, which can exacerbate asthma attacks and cause difficulty breathing, are higher when wind and weather patterns push Asian pollution across the ocean during the springtime months. Scientists found Asian air pollution contributed as much as 65% of an increase in western ozone in recent years. Since 1992, Asia has tripled its emissions of smog-forming chemicals such as nitrogen oxides. China and India, where many consumer products are manufactured, are the worst offenders. Rob Schmitz, NPR News, Shanghai. The Dow is down 23 points at 20,981. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from Constant Contact. Committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits succeed with email marketing. Working to help organizations meet their goals through personalized marketing help via phone, seminars, and webinars. More at ConstantContact.com. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. with Southern Remedy for Women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and today we are kind of continuing on our um, Southern Remedy theme of sleep, and I am very fortunate to have with me in the studio today Dr. Andrea Lewis, who is an assistant professor of otolaryngology, affectionately known as ENT, um, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, So 
I like to start the show by uh, letting our guests, when we are fortunate enough to have them, um, tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? She's got a very impressive CV. She's done a lot of really neat things. Um, but first of all, so where, where's home? Where are you from? I'm from North Mississippi, from Houston, Mississippi. So uh, a couple of hours from here, not many people have heard of it. It's like Houston, Mississippi. There that's is right. a thing. Okay, so that's a thing. I love it. Right. Always explain that it's not Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and so where did you, so you went to school there? I did. I grew up Houston Elementary, Houston High School, and then went to Ole Miss and and then ended up in Jackson okay. for medical. You did medical school here? I did medical uh-huh. school in Jackson. I awesome. did. Um, and I did a residency in otolaryngology and then followed by a fellowship in sleep medicine. Oh, so you are, you've been interested in uh, sleep, sleep disorders and problem, disordered sleep from, yeah. from, the beginning, I guess, huh? Yeah, it's definitely. And the ENT has a very interesting um, relationship with sleep and the fact that we are, are airway experts. A lot of the tonsils that we do even are for sleep apnea. And so there was a, a very strong overlap in uh, residency. And so to do the sleep fellowship allowed me to, to really treat the whole patient and to really combine those aspects of medical and surgical treatments for different sleep sleep disorders. Well, I think this is really good because um, one of the things that um, I I think we try to do here is to give people pathways and not only give them information, but also to kind of create pathways for people who might be listening, who are struggling with health issues Mm -hmm. um, and kind of thinking about, well, who is the person that you need to see if you're having a problem? And most people would not think that if they were having an issue with sleep, that somehow that might land them in an ENT or an otolaryngology office. So I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, that, that's very true. It is interesting, but uh, ENT, along with you know medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, neurology, psychiatry, are the are one of the are one of the specialties that can actually do the fellowship in sleep. So, um. This is actually not an uncommon issue, right? I mean, I, I guess every t- every now and again, um, at some point in time in our lives, everyone has an issue with a difficult night's sleep or difficulty getting to sleep. And some of that can be um, situational or transient. Mm-hmm. But then there actually is a large subgroup of the population who has an issue on a regular recurrent basis. Correct. Yeah, that's very correct, and especially in in women, for sure. Over sixty one percent of women will have trouble with insomnia. That's compa- compared to about fifty percent of men. So we have a lot of unique issues to women too that make us more prone to having to having issues with sleep. So there, and there are some other health issues I think that are slightly more common in the female population that kind of sometimes can be tied into problems with sleep. And you mentioned um, obstructive sleep apnea or sleep apnea before. And we'll talk a little bit about exactly what that is. But the other piece is that, so for example, obesity, right, mm-hmm. has, right. has um, uh, is correlated or is a risk factor for uh, the development of sleep apnea. A lot of patients who are obese struggle with sleep apnea. And so can you talk just a little bit? I'm sure people have probably heard about it, but may not know exactly what that is. So when we're talking about sleep apnea, we are referring specifically to what kinds of symptoms, what exactly is is sleep apnea? Yeah, I always explain sleep apnea is the fact that when you lay down at night, your muscles relax and your breathing pattern changes and gravity's working 
against you and the fact that you're laying in the bed. And so your airway has a tendency to actually collapse. And so at times people are trying to move air, but they cannot because there's there's no space to room air there to move air. Their um, airways collapse and it can be at different um, areas. It can be um, behind their tongue. It can be behind the soft palate in the throat, but but either way, they're not moving air. And so what happens is and they always say, I'm going to fall asleep or I'm going to stop breathing and not wake up. But you, you do wake up because your body gets this stimulation to breathe. So your oxygen drops, you get this stimulation to breathe. And so you kind of get this micro arousal. And sometimes that it correlates, especially in women into insomnia, because they remember waking up multiple times. Most people don't remember all the awakenings that you that you will have. But because you've had this lower oxygen and because you've had all this sympathetic stimulation during the night, it does lead to a lot of health problems, including high blood pressure, increases your risk of heart attack, stroke, it's linked to diabetes. And and changes your metabolism, so you are more likely to have trouble with obesity. And one of those things that I think um, a lot of people in our listening audience can relate to, um, either they themselves may have been told or they have been fortunate or unfortunate enough to lay next to someone or sleep in the house with someone who um, a lot of times it's the the really heavy snoring, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you hear they stop like mid snore for a moment and there's that pause and then mm-hmm. you hear the, the that startling noise where they kind of wake back up that arousal that you talked about that kind of jars people back up and then they can start breathing again or the concept of hearing someone I can remember hearing um, individuals who I shared a home with who we will save the names to protect the uh, the guilty <laughs> um, but hearing you know the the regular kind of routine snoring and then hearing that that's right. And then, yeah. and then you can, and then there's a shifting in the body usually, or they'll roll to uh-huh. one side or move a little bit. And then there's a, about a 30 second moment of silence and then it starts all over again. And many people can, can readily recount hearing something like that or experiencing That's that right. at some point in time in their lives. Um, really quickly, just want to give the number out. Um, the phone lines are all open and the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. If you can't get to a phone and you are sitting at a computer or if you're listening to us um, streaming at this moment and you'd like to just send us an email, you can shoot us an email um, to women at mpbonline.org. I'm here with Dr. Andrea Lewis. We are talking about sleep. So what kind of um, symptoms or what kinds of things usually bring patients to your clinic? Most commonly daytime sleepiness and and almost as closely uh, to daytime sleepiness as insomnia. So insomnia is not just difficulty falling asleep, though. That can be frequent wakenings during the night or waking up extra early in the morning and not being able to fall back asleep. Um, Clearly, both of those can be signs of um, obstructive sleep apnea, but not always. There can be other sleep disorders that are related, but most commonly, those are the complaints that bring people in. And So when you talk about this concept of difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep, I, you know, I sometimes have the issue where I'll wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and then it's kind of, you're, you're really in a bad place, right? Because you get up at that time and then it's just two more hours or so before you have to get up. And then, so what do you do? Do you stay awake? Do you try to go to sleep? If you try to go back to sleep, you usually wake up feeling more tired. I'll feel like I got hit across the head with a two by four when I do that. Um, But 
the I think the the big issue is that sometimes those things will happen, whether it's situational, um, where something's going on. Stress can also be a source of disordered sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to differentiate how might someone know the difference between um, something that just happens once or twice. When's it really a problem? Well, when it's happened more than a, you know, a few nights uh, a week or more than a few months period, um, it definitely is a problem. Everybody will wake up sometimes during the night. And so that's not abnormal and with increasing, um, uh, Dr. Owens is very young, but with increasing <laughs> age, we wake up more frequently, we wake up very frequently in my house as I have four young children. But um, within uh, with increasing age, we wake up a little bit more. Um, even kids, it's normal. They say their kids get, get in their bed. So it is normal to wake up some, you know, being able to go back to sleep can be the problem. But really being consistent and really only getting uh, decreased sleep time from it. And when it's affecting your daytime functioning um, is really when it becomes a problem. Yeah. So it's, and, and there's this, is there really a sense of urgency? Um, because you've mentioned several other things that can come about as a result of, you know, sleep apnea and other issues. How urgent is it? I mean, is this kind of one of those things that uh, people can ignore for a couple of years? Should they, you know, after a couple of months, if it's still progressive, that's the time to get it taken care of. I mean, is there a benefit in them being treated early as opposed to just kind of putting it off? Yeah, definitely a benefit to treating early, um, even if it's not, you know, frequently it's related to another underlying sleep disorder and not uh, just a primary diagnosis of insomnia. But um, even if it's not related to an underlying uh, sleep disorder, it definitely starts to affect quality of life and it definitely you know, once you kind of get in that habit of not sleeping at night and napping during the day, it's really hard or falling asleep later on and really get off schedule. It's also harder to to control and treat. And again, it begins to affect health and um, other aspects of your of your life. So definitely good to get treated early. A lot of times people will find situational, like Dr. Owens mentioned, you know, related to maybe an adverse event that's happening that will resolve or, you know, a period of time, a change after a child, you know, different things happening. But if it's not getting better in a few months, definitely it is important to be seen and and to seek treatment. Well, we um, are getting ready to go to our break. We have one call, um, but we have one caller on the line. So before we cut to the break, I'd really like to hear what he has to say. We've got Bert who's calling. Um, Good morning, Bert. How are you? Good morning. And what's your question? Got a couple questions around apnea. I'm actually, though, kind of double boarded. I've been diagnosed with apnea and uh, uh, narcolepsy. One, do you see narcolepsy related individually or, or kind of collectively with the poor sleep? And then you mentioned diabetes, hypertension, a couple other things. Or you, did you say that the apnea can cause those or just patients with apnea end up having those as comorbid conditions? Right. Those are great questions. And you, you do have a lot of reasons to be tired during the day. Um, so uh, just I'm going to answer the last question first. Sleep apnea itself contributes to the risk. So the, the, sim, the stimulation that you get during the night, the poor sleep the um, decreased oxygen, all those things um, actually increase your risk to have the high blood pressure and to have the um, you know, diabetes, stroke, heart attack, all those things definitely increase your risk. So so there is some overlap, particularly if it's an obese patient uh, in the comorbidities, but sleep apnea itself increases risk in, in all populations. 
Um, so most narcoleptic patients, even though they're tired, they don't sleep well at night. And also most people, a lot of people do have more than one sleep disorder. So a third of patients with obstructive sleep apnea also have another sleep disorder. Most patients with narcolepsy also frequently have another um, sleep disorder. And, and it's important that no matter who you're seeing or who you're treating, that who's treating you, that um, they identify those so they can all be all be treated because one definitely makes it harder to treat the other and, and can affect the other. But um, yeah, narcolepsy patients don't really sleep well at night. They don't have great quality of sleep, even though they're very tired. And I think most people who um, who hear the term narcolepsy would think that, I mean, we think that those are just people who just fall asleep. And mm-hmm. So you would believe that since they are always falling asleep, that they are actually getting good sleep. That's right. You would think that. And I think that's always surprising to people that that those patients do have trouble sleeping at night and, and don't sleep well and, and wake up and and they're you know that's often treated too but I'm, I'm sure your sleep apnea has to be has to be addressed also well I mean I am on a CPAP uh, okay. but sometimes the narcoleptic sleep is good until you get awoken by the car next to your office mm-hmm yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good. So the thing about patients with narcolepsy is I'm sure you realize short naps are really helpful, frequent short naps, but the nighttime sleep's a problem. But but yeah, being able to fall asleep anywhere is not as a, a difficult problem, isn't it? It can be. Luckily, it's it's, it's fairly controlled. The red lights and even gas pumps used to be nap time. Yeah, and you know, narcolepsy patients too, and, and you may have experienced this frequently, don't get diagnosed until they've had it a while and it has affected their quality of of life. And so that's um, that can be a big problem. It gets blamed on other things or gets overlooked until until you've struggled for a while. Well, Bert, thanks so much for calling, and hopefully it's helpful for you to know that you are definitely not uh, in the minority because there are lots of people who have more than one diagnosis, and we hope that you get a chance to get good rest. Um, Now it's about time for us to go ahead and go to our break, so we're going to pay some bills, and we'll be back in just a little bit and talk about to continue our conversation on sleep. that I'm one day closer to you. Oh, honey, Houston. Houston means the last day of the tour and we're through. Well, honey, Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel. With this show, Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel, I'm kind of going to take you on a little journey. You're going to get vintage, traditional gospel music right here on MPB. Premiering March 4th at 6 p.m. on MPB Television. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. 
Shirley MacLaine's amazing acting career has spanned six decades. Now at age 82, you'll find her in small-budget films like The Last Word. I'm part of the independent filmmaking culture. We don't have any money to make films. It's all about the writing and the characters. Indie film star Shirley MacLaine on her movie The Last Word. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy for Women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm here with Dr. Andrea Lewis, who's an otolaryngologist and a sleep disorder specialist. And we are talking about sleep, all things related to sleep. So if you're a person who has managed to figure out how to sleep very well, we would love for you to share your experiences, your successes. If you are struggling with a sleep disorder or if you have had success with a treatment, please call us and share your stories. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. As always, we are live and online. You can send us an email to women at online. Dot org. Um, we were talking about uh, sleep disturbances, sleep disorders. We've been talking about people who have problems with sleep and how this is really a very common issue um, in the general population. It says over 20% of Americans may suffer from some kind of chronic sleep loss. That doesn't include the people who are in, in medical training and other <laughs> and students in professional schools um, or those people who might have untreated sleep disorders. So I think one of the big take-home points is that there may be issues that occur or short periods of time where people may struggle with problems sleeping. However, if this is something that is happening consistently and it is causing a change in quality of life for you, or if you have found yourself in um, a dangerous type of situation, like for example, um, falling asleep at the wheel, um, or something of that nature, then that may be the signal for you, the wake-up call, no pun intended, actually kind of, um, but the wake-up call that there may need to be some investigation into um, what it is that is causing a problem or that you may actually have a sleep disorder. Um, and so while all disordered sleep isn't a sleep disorder, uh, I think it is something that um, I'm glad we're having an opportunity to, to talk about today. Um, and then specifically for women, um, women are one of those, high, we're in the high risk category um, for all of the different various and sundry things that we are at risk for. We can add that one to the list. Um, and so in your particular practice, Dr. Lewis, are you seeing, um, do you see more women than men or is it a pretty equal distribution? Yeah, it's a fairly equal distribution. You know, there are a higher percentage of men that actually have sleep apnea, but there's a higher percentage of women with insomnia. And it's interesting, even with um, obstructive sleep apnea, more men are likely to present with being tired during the day. And women much less frequently present with that complaint, but they often come in with insomnia related to the frequent awakenings. And so they'll have some fatigue, but they're much less likely 
um, to complain of actually, you know, falling asleep during the daytime. And some of that's probably related to our, our scheduling of trying to balance families and jobs mm-hmm. and, and things and, and not having time to uh, experience the, the sleepiness when we when we sit down. And, and then just sometimes our anxiety and, thing also, and things also play into that. But definitely different complaints between the two, but an equal proportion. And it's interesting, too, that there are some... So, so we talked about how sleep disturbances can have an influence on other chronic illnesses, um, but there are also different things that can happen, whether they're medical conditions or situations that can also contribute to disordered sleep. Um, and so sometimes teasing that out is not always easy. Um, because there are lots of different circumstances, um, especially when I think about those that are specifically germane to women or issues that are more common in women. For example, um, issues related to depression. Um, Menopause is definitely more common in women. Um, And so that being said, those hormone changes can also lead to disordered sleep or or difficulty with sleeping. Um, And some of that can be related to hot flashes and those kinds of things. But then um, it may also be that changes as you have decreases in progesterone and those kinds of things that can also Mm -hmm. contribute to difficulties um, in sleeping. Um, And so, oh, we have a a caller on the line, Rachel, who's calling from Hernando, who, um, so we will go to the lines and hear what Rachel has to say. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And what's your question? Well, I have two, actually, and they, they kind of go together. And I know, uh, well, I sleep fairly well, but sometimes that's with some sort of pill, you know. But anyway, but not always, and that's not always the case. But all my life, I have been a really huge dreamer. And I mean the kind that you wake up, not nightmares, but just that dreaming that is just so exhausting. And I wake up feeling like my heart's racing and, you know, it, it's not necessarily a scary dream, but it is a trying kind of a dream. And just one, and the other part of my question is for the last couple of years in the morning, when I wake up, I have this surge of, angst I guess is the word in my gut it's not a I mean it's a real physical thing it's not mental it's actually a physical drawing in of my gut and I just it feels terrible it's like this anxiety attack the minute I open my eyes so those are my two questions Yeah. Um, so that is interesting. Some people seem to dream definitely more than others and, and different things can um, cause dreaming. Stress can contribute to dreaming. Different medications can contribute to more dreaming. Um, so some people will dream more. Typically you dream during what's called REM sleep. So that's your dreaming stage of sleep. And that's often in those early morning hours. And so that may be a reason, even if you don't remember the dream, that you're waking up um you know, waking up kind of with some angst and and kind of anxious in the early morning hours. Um, Well, it sounds like some of the dreams that she's describing are somewhat stressful. Like they may not be horror type, you know, scary or nightmarish or terror type dreams. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it sounds like they are, you know, they they rev up. She gets that same sympathetic revving up is Mm -hmm. what it sounds like she's describing. If she wakes up. I can wake up like at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning and have had them. 
so and I and I wish I yeah. didn't remember them, but I do, and I mean it. It really is exhausting, and I. But I. I mean I can't say that it affects my quality, but I feel like it does. I feel like I'm exhausted sometimes after I, when I wake up. So it's not. I know what you're talking about with early morning, because sometimes if I wake up and go back to sleep about five o'clock, mm-hmm. I'll have a real drama then, but. But some of these are like the earlier part of the night. Do you, um, are you acting out any of your dreams that no, you're aware of? No, no, you're not getting up and physically. Really, I mean, peculiar. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. these real obscure things that just make no sense. I wonder about even some of your sleeping, you know, medicines contributing to a little to a little bit of that. And there are medicines, too, that can help decrease those. So, I mean, I think it would be something worth looking into further and going over some of those things you may or may not be be doing at home and and seeing what could be could be done since those seem to cause some anxiety do you so you think there are medications that can keep you from dreaming (laughs) there are some that can help with some stressful dreams um particularly frequently they're even given to um people with stress disorders and things that are drinking they're dreaming there are some that can help but frequently there are medicines also that somebody may be taking that can contribute to some some dreaming too okay well like i said it's been all my life so i can't really blame it on the medications that i take now right. this even was going on when i was younger i'm 62 now and i mean it, back in my 30s and 40s i was doing the same thing so it, i mean it sure. may just be inherent i don't know yeah, that's that's. I mean, definitely, some people dream and seem to remember more. And there, and again, there can be multiple reasons, you know, for that. But um, I think you should definitely um, consider at your next um, checkup, whether it's your annual exam or a wellness exam, having that discussion with your physician, and they can review your medications and also potentially talk about some other options, whether it's some behavioral therapy things that may be able to help or um, potentially um, a medication that may help to make your symptoms a little bit better so that you do get a better better uninterrupted sleep at night. Okay, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Rachel. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And we're going to stay on the lines because we have another caller, Dr. Brown, who has another question about sleep. Good morning. Hello? Dr. Brown, are you there? Oh, I'm here. Sorry. How are you guys doing? I fell asleep. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, we're doing I'm, great. I was I'm like, Dr. Brown, I wonder if that's Dr. Allie Brown. It's me. Oh, hey. well, great. How hey. are you? I'm fine. Well, I had good. a couple of questions. I have two yeah. questions. First of all, Dr. Lewis, yes. I fall asleep in the car uh, as a passenger. You know, <laughs> okay, no good. Oh, we were a little concerned. <laughs> that, you know, by the time we get to the exit to, or the entrance to the interstate to go on a road trip, I'm no, I'm gone. I mean, that coma phase uh-huh. calls me. But I do have a strong urge to fall asleep in the car when I'm driving too. And sometimes, I mean, I really have to like get candy and caffeinated drinks. I mean, it, it can be a real struggle for me. So that's my first question. Should I be concerned? I have like car nar- narcolepsy. Is that such a thing? Yeah. And then my second question is, I'm a really light sleeper. Are there is there any way? Then I think this might. People say this is like a female thing, but is there a way? to help yourself to not wake up so easily from every sound going on and things like that. So those are my two questions. Yes. So I would be concerned about about driving if you're very sleepy. But if you fall asleep, we call it, you know, just falling asleep in sedentary situations, a passenger car, watching television. I mean, it does mean that you are overly 
tired. And I know that uh, Dr. Brown is a very busy, busy doctor and mom. And uh, so I would be concerned about how much your sleep you're getting. And then it may be your quality of sleep if you are getting enough um, sleep. And so it sounds like you are a light sleeper. So some people do get more light sleep, and that can be for different reasons. Um, Definitely as far as things waking you up, you know, a cool room is better, limiting caffeine from six to eight hours before bedtime, not watching television or doing things on a computer at least an hour before bedtime, Um, you know, all those things to kind of set your brain mentally to get ready for sleep and not to stimulate it right before bedtime, a fan in the room, you know, something with some white noise can be helpful. Um, other things are some medicines that consolidate sleep a little bit too, some milder medications. But um, uh, all those things can be very factorial. Exercising close to your bedtime kind of kind of revs things up too. So you know, doing that more in the early morning hours and having more early mon- morning light exposure and a little bit more di- darkness and relaxing time close to bed can be helpful. So with the... Um, okay. so I'm breaking many of those rules, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it's you, hard. You, you mentioned the car thing, and I, what I have found is for me, I do that on airplanes. So before the first ding, when we're at 10,000 feet, we haven't even gotten to cruising altitude. But once the plane is off the ground, with between that and 10,000 feet, I can be totally gone. It doesn't matter what I was doing before. I could have been rushing, like running through the terminal to get to the to the flight. Mm-hmm. And then between the moment that I actually feel the nose of the plane come off the ground before the first ding, I'm gone. Well, so there is some aspect I will mention. One, I would say both your ladies are hard workers and are very <laughs> and are probably very tired. But often often people too, you kinda get worried about being able to sleep in your bed at night and sleeping good at night and, and almost can be stressful for some people getting in their bed, especially if they've ever struggled with insomnia or not sleeping well. But when you're in these other situations and you're not focused on it, that sometimes people more are more relaxed. And that's something I even often Ask people with insomnia, do you sleep well when you go to a hotel or when you're watching television or when you're riding in the car? So, you know, I think both of you probably find that a little relaxing. You're not stressing about all the the things on the computer you need to be working on and cleaning your house. So you're probably giving yourself a little mental break, too, in those situations. Yeah, I never really thought about it, but I just I, I always thought that that was very odd that, you know, in, mm-hmm. in that setting around, you know, a plane full of strangers, yeah. that, that would be the time that I would be, I guess that's what <laughs> it is, though, relaxed enough to be able to sleep because there's not anything impending at the moment. Um, but thanks so much, Dr. Brown, for your call. We are thinking of you and wishing that everything continues to go well for you, and hopefully we'll see you back here soon. Um, this is Southern Remedy for Women. We're getting ready to go to our next break, um, and I'm here with Dr. Andrea Lewis. We are talking about sleep. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. 
and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. This is Jim Dees, host of Thacker Mountain Radio, inviting you to join us every Saturday night at 7 p.m., where we'll feature the best in literature and music. We're inviting you to reach out and put your hands on the radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. Thacker Mountain Radio on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. for women. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and we are here in studio today talking about sleep. Having trouble sleeping? How much is too much sleep? How much is not enough sleep? Well, if you're not getting enough sleep, you probably know that. Um, how that sleep will actually influence your health and how it could have an impact on um, other issues, other chronic medical illnesses. Um, we talk about um, how this is something that is uh, definitely uh, common in, in women, but is also very common in men. Um, and we've talked about people getting up multiple times during the night. Um, and, and I wanted to also clarify, there are plenty of other things besides sleep disorders that can do that. So, for example, if you're a person who's getting up with, say, frequent urination, so you're up going to the bathroom several times a night, and it's the stimulation from your bladder that's keeping you awake, um, then there may that may signal something that's totally different. It's unrelated to the sleep, but the problem that you're having this interrupted sleep is actually related to an underlying issue. So if you're finding that there's something that is keeping you up, please don't wait. Um, get it seen about or investigated as soon as possible. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting, I was doing some uh, research for the show, and um, one of the facts that I ran across, Dr. Lewis, which I thought was really great since we've both done residencies, is not sleeping for 24 hours is the equivalent of having a blood alcohol of 0. 0.10, the legal limit in most states. And in some places, it is greater than the legal limit. Um, and so there are really some serious um, effects that we experience when we don't get good sleep. And so first of all, I guess, before we start talking about not getting enough, um, how much how much should we how much should we get? So, you know, you mentioned the the biggest complaints people come in and the biggest uh, reasons that people are concerned about their sleep. But interestingly, those, those same patients, but then also the general population, most people aren't sleeping enough. And some of that is related to our scheduling, our television, watching multiple things. But most adults need seven to eight hours. Um, and I say in the bed at night. No, I definitely feel like I need full eight hours every night. Um, and sleep's very cumulative. I love sleep. Yeah. It is a wonderful thing. Like I yeah. love sleep. I don't, I don't know that I get enough based on that right. number. Uh -huh. um, and the amount of sleep that we need changes over our lifetime. So, yeah, so that's 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 fact and fiction. So, mm -hmm. yes, of course, uh, infants need, you know, 16 or so hours a day that it never feels like they sleep, right? But 
Um, like they just get it and it's interrupted in two hour increments or whatever. But right, <laughs> right. Toddlers, you know, more like 12 to 14, school age kids. Um, you know, more around 10 hours. And even your teenagers need more, you know, around nine or a little bit more hours of sleep at night. And again, adults, seven, eight. And there is kind of a misconception there that elderly adults need um, less sleep when in fact they really don't. So what you'll find is that, but they do have a few more awakenings at night and napping a little bit more during the day. But really through adulthood, it stays about about the same that we need, amount that we need. Yeah, I think the timing is that it just, it kind of shifts, right? Because like the elderly people tend to go to bed a little earlier. Mm-hmm. They don't, they Correct. don't burn mm-hmm. that midnight oil mm-hmm. um, and they rise earlier. Mm-hmm. They tend to be up a little earlier. I think about, you know, my, my grandmothers and, and other um, people in my family in my neighborhood. And that's kind of the thing. So they still get their sleep right. because, you know, you can't call Grammy at, Ten thirty, and she's like, "Hey, how are you?" I'm mm-hmm. like, "No." Yeah. she's she's like by six thirty, seven o'clock. You're like, mm, "Can we call her?" Is she like, yeah. be like?" Um, so um, we now have the phone lines are are pretty full. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and and go to the phone lines. So let's start off with Harry, who's calling from Vidalia. Um, Harry, good morning. Hello, Harry, yeah. are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, good morning. What's your question? Two questions. The first is, does the position you sleep in have an effect on sleep efficiency? For instance, your side, your back, your stomach, or fetal position? Um, it does have some uh, some effect on sleep. One, because most people are much more likely to have sleep apnea on their back. Um, and so that can definitely be a factor. Um, two, reflux, depending on how you sleep. So that can be better with your... With your left side down can be better um, for reflux. And also, um, sometimes depending on how your pelvis are positioned, if your neck is bent, it can kind of close off your airway a little bit and cause more reflux. So definitely position can be important. And the other question is, is there a difference between eight hours straight sleep and, say, six and two? Yes, there definitely is. So your body, and that's a great question, your body cycles through the different stages of sleep during the night. And so you start off in your lighter stages um, and then you usually go into to REM or your dreaming sleep after about 90 minutes and you have these cycles through the night. And so it's important for you to get that consolidated um, sleep and time for all your sleep stages. Also during the night, particularly during the early morning hours, um, your body will release your growth hormone, which is important for all aspects of a healthy body. And so if you're not getting um, the time you need in bed at night, um, it definitely is um, is not the same as getting uh, broken up sleep or having a nap, you know, later during the day. Not that naps aren't good and helpful. That's like, I like naps too. Right. Don't get to do that. And naps are good, <laughs> but not the same. Well, great. Harry, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. I appreciate your program and all that y'all do. Wonderful. Thanks so much. And next we will go to Keith, who's calling from Boonville. Good morning, Keith. Hey. Hi. What's your question? Um, I have a problem with sleep paralysis, uh, and it usually only happens when I sit on my back, and it's kind kind of frightening, and I was wondering if there's anything I could do about that. It only happens. Say that again. When? Uh, when I sleep on my back. Um, well, sleep paralysis, some people just have, you know, the episodes of sleep paralysis can also be associated with being overly tired. 
um, can be associated with sleep apnea, can be associated with narcolepsy. And so what it is essentially is when you wake up in your dreaming stage of sleep and your body's still paralyzed. And so you can't move, but you're aware of your surroundings. I'm not sure why it would occur more on your back, except for maybe you're having more, um, if you are having some sort of a sleep apnea, maybe you're having more when you're sleeping on your back and um, or getting more arousals for different reasons when you sleep on your back that are, that are leading to that situation. Keith, how often does that happen for you? How often do you... Um, it does it uh, very often. I try not to sleep on my back, but um, sometimes when I'm sleeping, I, I don't realize that I roll over onto my back. And are you tired during the day or any other symptoms? Um, no, that's it. I mean, I usually get good sleep and I'm never tired. Yeah. Um, so there are some people that do have, you know, recurrent sleep paralysis. I think it would be, you know, something to get worked up further, though, to make sure it's not associated with um, with anything else. And then um, could even look for, and there are some positioning therapies to help keep you off your back. I'm not sure, again, completely wants more on your back, but definitely think it would be worth looking into more. So thank you so much, Keith, for your question, and hopefully you will get a little bit more insight into your sleep paralysis. That's, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that because that's not something that I think many people um, are very aware of. Um, yeah, but that, that's kind of interesting. It's more I rare, think, yeah. But I think everybody kind of has experienced that at mm-hmm. some point in time mm-hmm. episodically. It's just interesting to hear that there are some people who uh, might suffer from that on a more regular basis. Um, once again, guys, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send us an email to women at mpbonline.org. I'm here with Dr. Andrea Lewis, and we are talking about sleep. So if you have any questions, if you've been diagnosed with a sleep disorder and you want to just call in and either get your questions answered or share some experiences, some sleep successes, um, then uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, So Dr. Lewis, tell me this. So how does the temperature correlate with one's ability to sleep? And it's the strangest thing because if I as I am sometimes known to do. I know my husband's listening and he's probably pointing at the <laughs> pointing at the radio. But I sometimes will fall asleep in various and sundry places around the mm-hmm. house, not intending to do that for yeah. whatever reason. Very well intentioned, supposed to be doing something else, mm-hmm. find myself asleep. And when I wake up, um, I will sometimes be very cold. Say, for example, if I fall asleep and I don't have something over me. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the temperature in the house is exceptionally cold or what have you. I may have actually been very comfortable when I, I was comfortable enough to fall asleep, but then I'll wake up and be very, very cold. So the body temperature does drop when you begin to go to sleep and you actually have sort of a kind of a, a set point. And so your body has sort of a... a a circadian rhythm to it and even with your temperature changes so that is part of the natural um, sleep process to to lower the body temperature Um, part of it's related to change in you know metabolism change in breathing those things and part of it's your body kind of being designed for you to 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 go to sleep and to um, sleep at different times and to help you to help you sleep and so that also is I mean, and the other part is why we're talking about sleep in general, like the benefits of sleep. Like mm-hmm. the main purpose is just to give our bodies a chance to relax and renew and repair, right? 
Right. That's correct. And so, and that's what we were talking about early, going through those different stages of sleep are important for that too. So deep sleep definitely helps with um, kind of muscle rebuilding, recharging. Um, Sleep is important for memory consolidation. Oh my gosh. Maybe that's what I need. Maybe (laughs) don't we all need more sleep? I can remember things better. (laughs) Yes. So are there any other uh, benefits? I mean, I, I would assume that good sleep also helps with stress relief and those kinds of things as well. Yeah, they definitely do. But interestingly, people frequently with um, other psychiatric problems or depression or anxiety have trouble sleeping. Um, The other thing that I would mention is that, um, and I think I said it earlier, some of the hormones that are released during sleep and change over sleep, even cortisol, some of your stress hormones, you know, have kind of a natural cycle related to sleep. So not getting good sleep. And I always tell people this actually changes your hormonal uh, profile. And so can increase, increase hormones that make you hungry, decrease those that make you feel full, um, can uh, decrease growth hormone again, which is important for your muscles. So a lot of different factors are associated with sleep. Well, there are, um, we have uh, just a few more minutes left um, in the segment. So I'm going to go ahead and give out the phone number one more time because I know that there's somebody out there who has a question that they've not yet heard answered on the air. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we are still taking emails at MPB, I'm sorry, women at mpbonline.org. So we had talked a little bit about sleep hygiene. We talked about sleep disorders and we've talked about um, stress and sleep but what about this concept of sleep training can you so if if we are individuals who are out there in listening land and we have decided well you know maybe I just haven't been doing this thing right Mm -hmm. like how might someone um, without using sleep aids whether it's pharmacotherapy or medications or drugs What are some ways that people can actually kind of do sleep training, so to speak, or kind of try to reprogram themselves without um, having to use medications or what have you? Definitely. That's a great question. Interestingly, I know we've mentioned insomnia and so, right, that the whole sleep scheduling, sleep training is a part of that. And as interestingly, the medication, so people frequently want a medication as a fix, but they have not been as effective as actually sleep training, or we frequently call it cognitive behavioral therapy that a lot of patients uh, undergo to kind of reset their sleep. And um, it's not, I always say, it's not sitting on the couch and talking about your problems. Essentially, it's it, that is sleep training. And so some of the things are your sleep, you know, scheduling. So a lot of times to get back on. So one of the things people may be have their, um, we call it phase delayed or advanced, meaning they're falling asleep, you know, very much later, very much earlier than they intend to, or that fits with their lifestyle. So limiting your time in bed for a period of time until you fill that time with sleep, uh, keeping a, uh, the same wake up time every day is really important. Um, even if you didn't get enough sleep the night before, uh, keeping the same schedule on the weekend. So that really throws people off and is important for sleep training. And a lot of times if you're trying to change your schedule, you can't just do it all in one night. So you can't sleep all day one night, one day, and then go to bed early the next night. So, you know, changing those in 30-minute increments for over several weeks. Um, light in the morning and activity in the morning is helpful. So that bright light stimulates uh, important things and important hormones and things to happen to kind of set you back on schedule. Um also, you know, the limiting caffeine. I know some of those things are sleep hygiene, but they're definitely important to 
um, that sleep training. But sleep training is difficult. It definitely takes takes time and, and commitment. But a lot of it, again, is is kind of that scheduling um, things like I mentioned and the time in bed. And so what exactly? How about um, aromatherapy? We hear a lot about aromatherapy and uh, like, for example, whether it's eucalyptus and spearmint or chamomile or lavender and all these different things mm-hmm. and how the stimulation of our senses um, can be influenced and can lead us kind of to be more relaxed or can lead us to be more excited, what have you, by using those kinds of things. Is there any credence to those at all? You know, some of those things you mentioned, like chamomile, is a little bit sleep-promoting in of, of itself. So, yes, there definitely can be. And anything that helps you relax. Now, I don't know if any... Um, Evidence-based medicine. It's supposed to be lavender. 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 Yeah. It's a little (laughs) sleep-promoting, but I don't know of any, uh, you know, large trial, randomized Mm -hmm. studies, you know, showing that they're helpful. But anything that helps you relax um, can help promote sleep. So watching a... Um, exciting television show before bedtime is not helpful, but uh, I'm sure aromatherapy and a and a good boring book can be very helpful. All right, we have uh, one more caller on the line, and we are down to the last few minutes of the show, so we are going to go to the phone lines and hear from Sylvia, who's calling us from Belzona. Good morning, Sylvia. Hi. Good morning. How are you? We're doing great. How are you? Great. Got the last set of minutes of the program, but I do have a question. And I was wondering, is leg cramping a component of sleep apnea? I was diagnosed with it years ago. And um, there are times I'll be asleep and, um, and I, you know, and I'll just stretch. And then all of a sudden I start getting these terrible cramps in the lower part of my legs. So you are experiencing the, now, did you get your leg cramps with the sleep apnea or you noticed that the the leg cramps have come after you've been diagnosed with sleep apnea? After diagnosed. So I don't have a clear association between sleep apnea and the leg cramps. The leg cramps are interesting and that is a sleep disorder of itself. You know, it's never been improved. Uh, proven exactly what causes those. I, I get them third trimester of pregnancy every time. Oh my gosh, it's the worst thing <laughs> about pregnancy is those darn leg cramps. It is, and well, you know, past <laughs> right? Yeah, and so you're having it all the time. So I can imagine what that's like. So um, potassium doesn't really help, you know, et cetera. You know, the the only things you know that have been tried with some uh, maybe some help are you know the the warm relaxing bath massage um, things like that but there's really no nothing proven the only thing that might be related to your sleep apnea and the leg cramps is the fact that anything that disrupts your sleep like the sleep apnea can lead to you know more recognition of things like leg cramps and more trouble with other um, sleep disorders so it's possible just the disruption from your sleep apnea could kind of make that more problematic for you Okay. If that's okay. helpful. But yeah, those are, that's interesting. And all the literature you can read. And every time I've been pregnant, I, I start reading more and more about leg, leg cramps. <laughs> uh, yeah. And unfortunately, the CPAP is not going to fix the leg cramps. But no. hopefully, you will find a way to find some resolution to those and, and be able to have a, a good night's sleep, Sylvia. Okay. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank thanks you. so much for your call. So we are down to the last 30 seconds, Dr. Lewis. So give the listening audience, you know, one or two, like, take-home points. If they are people who are out there who are battling with sleep, how they can be better. 
Yes. I think more important, most importantly, again, is just set aside that time for sleep. Make it a priority. Get um, everything set up before bed. Turn the television off. Um, cut the caffeine out early. And again, try to get up at the same time every day and get on a good schedule. All right. So there it is, the schedule. Once again, we've heard that. Um, Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the members of the MPB Foundation as well as you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by superb Sam Wells and our call screener was Java Chapman. I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. We have enjoyed our time with you today. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women and stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.